Scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Julie. Would you pray with me as we hear the word of God? Guide us, O God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth that we might find freedom, in your will discover your peace. We ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Well, happy soggy Memorial Day weekend. Um, I was walking earlier this week, you know, the, remember, like, four days ago, it was not 50 degrees, it was 90 degrees. Uh, I was walking downtown, and down the sidewalk, past a local apartment building, and some of the residents were sitting outside trying to beat the heat, and one of them recognized me. This is one of those, those occupational liabilities. And um, she recognized me, and she said, Pastor! And I thought, ah. Pastor, 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 I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. Okay, I didn't recognize her. She recognized me. And uh, she said, will you pray over my apartment? There are, there's, there's something going on. I don't know if it's demons or spirits, but there's just weird stuff going on in my apartment. Um, it weirded me out a little bit at first. I'm, I'm not well-versed in demon stuff or spirit stuff. I'm not well-read in it. I'm not trained in it. I didn't recognize her. She obviously recognized me. Uh, if I'm being honest, I could tell like the way she talked, she just talked a lot, and I was kind of hoping to just get on to the next thing. And, and through all of this and all this wrestling inside, I heard the Spirit asking me, Chris, can you just pray? Can you just pray? This morning, we're finishing a series of sermons that we've been looking at this spring where we've asked, what, what is the church? It's kind of a basic question, but it's an important question, especially now as we emerge from at least the worst of this pandemic. And as churches and church cultures, because they're part of society and society is changing, churches are changing, it's really important to remind ourselves, what is the church? Who does God call us to be? How does he call us to be and to interact with each other And instead of offering rigid definitions and logic and formulas, we've been looking at pictures 
The New Testament authors paint a number of pictures of the church. They use these metaphors. And so we've been looking at these metaphors because as one theologian wrote, the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. The church matters. So we've asked over the course of the spring, what does it mean that that the church is a flock under one great shepherd, Jesus? We've asked, what does it mean that the church is a temple a temple where God's spirit lives among his people? What does it mean that we are one body with many parts? What does it mean that we are exiles and strangers in a foreign land? What does it mean that we are the bride of Christ? These are all different pictures that New Testament authors paint. This morning, we're going to look at the last picture. There are others in the New Testament, but we're just keeping it to six. What does it mean that we are a royal priesthood. Now, some of you have a background, especially in the Catholic Church, and some of you have an Episcopalian background. So for you, the language of priests is a little more familiar. You, a bunch of images come to mind, and you're, you're more comfortable with those images. On the other hand, for some people who grew up in the Baptist Church or another, they're called low church. It's not an insult. It's not a dig, but they're just called low church cultures. It just means less formal or less Uh, emphasis on certain rituals, Uh, we don't really know what to do with priests. We're going to look at that this morning because the woman who stopped me on the street and asked me to pray over her apartment saw me functionally as a priest. I didn't have the robe or the hat. I didn't even have the clerical collar. I don't own one of those, but she saw me as a priest. What's a priest? We just heard in the children's story, a priest is somebody who represents God to his people. And a priest is somebody who represents God's people to God, almost like a middleman. So that woman saw me as kind of a middleman. She could get somehow get access to God through me. Now, there are some unhealthy ways to consider that, but there are some very healthy ways to consider that. That's what I want to do this morning because Peter writes twice in the section in the text that Julie read for us this morning, that we are priests. Listen again to verse 5. He says, you, plural, y'all, also, like living stones, you, Christians, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter says, you, we, all of us, are a holy priesthood priesthood. You ever thought of yourself as a priest? (laughs) Think about it. You ever thought of yourself? Probably not. My My guess is probably not. You think priests are somebody else. But what does it mean and how does it change us? Not just you personally, but our culture as a church to recognize that we are all priests. You are a priest. A holy priesthood, Peter says. Now the word holy just means it's set apart. It's different. If your grandmother had a set of of special dishes, her bone china, did your grandmother have bone china dishes? If your grandmother, or maybe you have special china, and you only set it out for certain occasions, big birthdays, Christmas dinner, Easter, things like that, that's holy, those are holy dishes. Holy just means set apart. It's different. It's reserved for a special purpose. 
Again, most of us don't think of ourselves as all that holy. We know all of those corners, those deep crevices in our hearts that we hope other people won't see. But Peter says you are a holy priesthood. Set apart. Strange in some way. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. A priest. Again, not with the robes and the hat necessarily, but certainly in function. Because a priest is what? A priest is just based, think of a priest as a middleman. A middleman between the people and God. A priest represents God to his people and represents the people to God. Now, it's important to remember this, that in the Old Testament, I mean, I've got to be careful because we could, I wrote like three sermons about this, and I've got to pare it down. Uh, in the Old Testament, priests, the way they represented the people to God was primarily through offering sacrifices. So if you've read, have you read one of those parts of the Old Testament, those weird parts where it says, you must kill this animal for this and that animal for that and sacrifice it in this way and throw the blood on the altar? And you're thinking, What? It was always a priest who did those things. And one of the reasons you needed a priest was because God had established so many laws and rules and regulations about sacrifices that you and I, like an ordinary person, would have never remembered them all. So you needed a specialist. You needed someone who really knew what they were doing to do it right. Just like you're not going to go to your family physician to have heart surgery. No, you need a specialist, someone who really knows what they're doing. It's also important to recognize this, that the sacrifices in the Old Testament were not permanent. They were, they were almost like a patch. Like if you puncture your bicycle tire, and you take the, the, the tire off and you've got the tube and you have to patch the tube, you put a patch on it. But it could well be, and patches have gotten pretty good now, so the metaphor breaks down. But think about the old patches. They didn't used to be so good. And so you put a patch on your tire and eventually it would start leaking again. And then you patch that. But eventually, the only thing that could really fix it was to get a brand new tire or a brand new inner tube in your bicycle tire. The sacrificial system was meant to be kind of a patch until things could be properly, completely, permanently fixed. The thing about a temporary fix is it creates a desire for a permanent fix you know that there's just a patch on your bicycle tire, and at some point you're going to have to replace it. Now, how does this tie into what Peter says? Well, remember what Peter says. I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, you, Christian, you go to church once a week, and you see the priest, and maybe you call them a pastor or a minister, and they do the ministry stuff. They patch your tire, right? And you... you they do the ministry. You support the pastor or the priest while they do the ministry. Right? Wrong. You, Joe, you, Kathy, you, John, are priests. It's not your job to sit and watch while the priests do the ministry because we are all priests. Each of you. And if that's not clear, Peter repeats himself. Look at verse 9. He repeats it again. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Not just me. Not just the pastor. Not just the people on the stage. You are, really? I don't, I don't feel like a priest, Chris. 
Let's think about that. Again, what's a priest? A priest is just a middleman between God and God's people, or a middle woman. A priest brings the people to God, in a sense, and brings God to the people, in a sense. We, a member of our church died a year and a half ago. His name was Ramsey Michaels. Uh, those of you who worship here knew Ramsey. If you didn't, he was brilliant. He was a New Testament professor. He got his doctorate from Harvard. Uh, he taught, his job was to, to teach in graduate schools and train pastors. He must have published tens of thousands of pages. I mean, books and books and books. He wrote a commentary on 1 Peter on this passage. Here's what he writes. He says, being priests doesn't only mean being something. It means doing something. It doesn't only mean being something. Being a priest means doing something. It means rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty. So when Peter says, you are a priest, that doesn't only mean something about your identity, although it does, but it means we have a job to do. Being a priest doesn't just mean being exceptionally righteous and frankly kind of irrelevant because a priest is so righteous that they can't relate to the rest of the world. It means bringing the people to God and bringing God to the people. We know this for a number of reasons, one of which Peter just spells out right for us. Look again in verse 9. You're a chosen people, he writes, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, Finish that sentence. So that, here's the purpose. Why are we a priest? So that you may declare the praises of him, that's God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Later on in verse 12, we didn't read this or print it, uh, so you'll have to take my, or you can look it up in your Bible. He says, live such good lives among the pagans, among the non-Christians, the people who don't believe, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Somehow, our call is to to work and to live such holy lives that people who don't believe are led into belief. We bring the people to God and God to the people. All of us, not just the pastor. Now that, I know, this represents a fundamental shift in how many of us are used to understanding the church. Many people think this, They think the goal is to just get more people to go to church. We just need more. What happened? Why doesn't anybody go to church anymore? We need more people to just go to church. Here's what's implied very often in that. If I can just get people to go to church, then the pastor can minister to them. You see? But our goal is not, let me be upfront. Our goal is not to make more church goers. Our goal is to make more Christ followers. Our goal is not to make more church goers. Our goal is to make more Christ followers. And let me tell you something. This was true before, but it's especially true in 2021. Making Christ followers doesn't start with making church goers. You know how I know? Because people aren't going to church. Non-people, non-church people just aren't going. How do we expect to reach somebody in church when they aren't going to church? Well, we need to get them to church. How's that going? It hasn't worked for decades. Let let me just suggest, instead of trying to reach people where they aren't, 
What if we try to reach people where they are? People aren't here. I mean, you are, obviously. (laughs) But the people we wish were here aren't. Why are we trying to reach them where they aren't when we could be trying to reach them where they are? At work, in class, on the golf course, at your kid's dance recital, Saturday afternoon when you and your family are having a picnic in the park and your kid starts playing with some other kids, in your neighborhood as your neighbors are all out mowing the lawn or walking the dog or doing whatever they do outside. That doesn't make any sense if I'm the priest and you're not. But if Peter is right and we are all priests, then it doesn't make sense to assume they have to go to church first to become a Christ follower. Peter says we're all, we're a community of priests, a family of priests. That sounds like a bad joke, you know? 80 priests walked into a church and (laughs) your calling as a Christian, as a priest, is to bring people to God and God to people wherever you are. Again, as I was walking through town, it it, it hit me. It's almost like, this is a limited metaphor, but think about it for a minute. It's almost like we're a door. When you're walking down the street and you pass a closed door, what do you think? Nothing. Like, you don't even notice all the closed doors you walk by. Just walk down Court, Court Street, right? If you're walking from here to Prescott Park, and all these houses, and almost every door is closed, and you don't, you don't even notice that they're there. But if one of those doors is open, what do you do? You look, right? It's almost like you're a door between God and your classmates, between God and your coworkers, between God and your golf buddies. Are you an open door or a closed door? Are people looking inside or are they noticing? Because remember, we're all ministers. If you're more of a numbers person, just think of it practically in terms of numbers. Think about it this way. How many people could I, Pastor Chris, reach, whatever that means, in, a, say, a given week? Probably an optimistic estimate would be like a dozen. Like I might be able to have, and probably not, but I might be able to have on a really good week a dozen meaningful, like ministering conversations with people. How many could you reach in a week? Well, Chris, I'm, but I'm not a full-time pastor, and I don't get paid. I'm, I'm a student. I'm, I'm an employee. I'm, I'm retired. I don't see people. I, yeah, so how many? Two, maybe? And how many of you are in here? I'm going to guess 40. I don't know. Is that, is that right? Did anybody count? <laughs> Let's say 40 times two. That far outweighs the dozen people that I'm able to reach to minister to, to serve, to bear witness to. You see? It's just simple math. It's the same reason you put 11 football players on a field instead of one coach. What good would one coach do on a football field? Not a lick of good. You field a full team of 11. The more the better. Now there's not time to give a a full rundown. We're just limited, I know, and I wish we could talk more and I was thinking this morning, I think maybe next year we just, we'll do a sermon, a whole series on what it means that we're priests because this is rich. Let me just make a couple of notes. 
may not even be fair to give a couple of notes. I wish I could explain them more, but first, you, you can't give away something you don't already have. In a sense, I've kind of put the cart before the horse this morning by saying, like, be a priest, be a minister, without talking about the, the fuel for ministry. It's like telling a car, go drive to you know, Nebraska without putting gas in the car. Let me just be upfront. Going to church one hour a week is not going to be fuel enough. It just isn't. Especially if you're also fueling yourself with, I don't know, an hour, two hours more of cable news every day or social media and whatever stuff is popping up in your social media or like we just, we can't compete with that. You need better fuel. You need more fuel. The only fuel that will last is, is daily intentional time spent with Jesus Christ. We believe that happens primarily through prayer and through engaging with the scriptures as we hear what he has to say to us. It starts with that internal heart change, and then we can find ways to be a priest. How does that work? Imagine you're reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and you're just meditating on the Sermon on the Mount. You read, notice Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5. You think, huh, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Is there a place, let me just ask, by the way, a place in your life where there's a lack of peace? I bet if you were to raise your hands, every hand would, excuse me, would go up. What does it mean to be a peacemaker in that scenario? If you're reflecting on Christ and on Scripture and if you're meditating on it daily, as you're praying through it, you'll find those ways. Not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. You see? Let me just give one very practical way that we can practice this. It's just to pray, and we actually just did it right before the children's story. It's to pray right then and there with people. Here's, here's the best question you can ask someone who's struggling. Can I pray with you? Not necessarily, can I pray for you? Because we all know what happens, and this happens to me all the time. That's why I don't ask that anymore. Can I pray for you? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. And what happens? You've forgotten within three minutes, and you never pray for him. It's not that you didn't want to. You meant well. You really did. I mean well. We just, we just forget. Change the for to a with. Can I pray with you right now? Now, nine times out of ten, I, I preface it a little bit, and I don't say that I'm a pastor. That actually weirds people out more. <laughs> I say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God hears our prayers and he cares for you. Can I pray with you just briefly right now? And sometimes they say no. Usually people say yes. I have a buddy who every time he went out to eat, he would ask the waiter or the waitress, he would say, just, I know this, this sounds weird, I'm a Christian, I pray before I eat, our family prays, but can we pray for you at, right before we eat? And how can we pray? Is there anything you'd like prayer for? It's amazing. There was one time I was, I was visiting one of our church members in a hospital, and again, I didn't, I don't think I said I'm a pastor, but I said, we're Christians, we're members of a church, I'm going to pray with this person uh, to the doctor who was in the room. Can we pray for you? 
And he started to like just weep. And I still don't know why. He didn't, he didn't explain. And then he asked me, and he was young. He's probably a little younger than I am even. And he said, can I have a hug? <laughs> yeah, sure. And I said, what, what can we pray for you? And he said, I'm new to the area. I, I just feel so alone. I just, I don't know what. Okay. He said, I'm so, I, I got to go. I'm busy. And he's an attending. And of course, yeah. So go, do your rounds. And we just prayed, and we prayed for the person we were visiting, and then prayed for Dr. Sakali. And then I had a voicemail on my phone from him a couple hours later. He just said, hey, thank you so much. Like, it, it's not hard. It's just, well, I don't know how to pray. Yeah, start. <laughs> you learn by doing. Same way you learn to ride a bike. Even if it's awkward, even if it's stilted, one, the other person probably doesn't know how to pray either, so they won't judge you. And God sees your heart. He knows your heart. Prayer is not about the eloquence of our words, but it's about the humility of our heart. Well, Chris, what if it's still weird? Like, I don't know, my pastoral response is, who cares? Our faith is weird. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And, and what if prayer works? And what if God actually wants to move and work in somebody's life and he's just waiting for you to pray and you're just, and, and the reason he won't is because we haven't prayed just because I don't want to look a little weird. <laughs> like what if, what if God wants to move and work through you? Because you're a priest, you see. And God uses priests to draw people closer to him. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. Martin Luther, the great reformer, um, wrote this. He also wrote a commentary about First Peter, and he wrote, you don't have to be a preacher to be a priest. That's a good line. You don't have to be a preacher to be a priest. Friends, following Jesus is not a game where we sit on the bleachers and cheer on the few professionals. Every one of us, God calls to lace up our cleats, the sports analogies, I hope that's okay, put on the helmet, to roll up our sleeves, to get our hands dirty, use whatever cliche you want. If you're not a priest, then there's no point to it. But if Peter is right, then we get, we get not just like Christianity as fire insurance. Okay, I believed the right thing, and then hopefully I won't go to hell after I die. No, like you get a cosmic mission and purpose. You are a part of God restoring and redeeming a broken world. And is there any question that our world is broken? Do you want to sit on the side? Do you want to sit on the sidelines? Or do you want to be a part of God's work? In a post-pandemic world, the church is not going to become less relevant. Friends, we're going to become more relevant. Because we've all seen and felt the brokenness of our world. And so many people who were so comfortable and who had done such a good job of casting all fear out of their lives came face to face and were confronted with their mortality and with the deepest fears that they had worked so hard to suppress. Many of us are in that same boat. People are reeling, are spinning, are dizzy, are in a fog, and in a haze. What an opportunity to be the church, to be a community of priests 
who just through our everyday lives can bear witness to the fact that God will not leave us broken. He won't leave our world broken. He doesn't want to leave any one person broken. He wants to fix and restore and redeem everything. And he uses priests. Marge, you're a priest. Paul, you're a priest. Martha, Bear, Cedric, Julie, you get the point? Robin, Peyton, you were hoping I wouldn't say your name. (laughs) You're a priest. God has redeemed us, and he wants to redeem the world through you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, forgive us for having too little imagination. Forgive us for underestimating ourselves. Forgive us for underestimating you. For concerning ourselves with things that just frankly don't matter when there's a, there is a, a grander more cosmic, more profound mission available to each of us than we can possibly grasp. All you ask us to do is to say yes to the next thing. You don't ask us to have all the answers. You have all the answers. So you just ask us to follow you. And when you give us an opportunity to to have the courage to say yes and to step into that, And then when you give us the next opportunity to have the courage to say yes and step into that, and so on and so on. It is is utterly humbling and baffling that you would choose us. And yet you do. So give us the courage to say yes so that your excellencies, as Peter writes, might be proclaimed to all the earth. Lord, we want to be a powerful church on a powerful mission serving a powerful God. Give us the grace and the mercy to do exactly that. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.